Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Cast. Bud, it is the end of our season preview series. We're going to lean on a bunch of listener questions that we have here and give our predictions. So we've been able to do the offense, to do two parts on the defense. Would encourage anybody that hasn't listened to those yet to go back and give them a listen. As you know, certainly tried to do our best to give you an idea as to what the roster looked like at every point possible. Thank our friends, New Iberia, Louisiana, three simple ingredients, one fantastic partner, Louisiana Hot Sauce, the title sponsor of the Nolcast, and Bud, they make this and every other podcast possible. So with that, let's jump into the final part of our preview series. Let's do it, man. So I uh, wanted to incorporate all of our Patreon questions, patreon.com slash Nolcast here, and uh, most of these questions are from Patreon. We've got a couple uh, that we already answered in, I think, in our two shows. Or, well, three shows. Shoot, we, we did a double show for the defense. It was just so much fun to talk about this defense, at least in the preseason. So we had to, had to double up there. Uh, and then one show for the offense, a little bit less fun, but still, you know, still some promising elements there of the offense. And some questions that I know we're going to be excited to see answered this year. But we have some, some remaining questions, some hypotheticals, some kind of either-or stuff, and, and I'm excited to... To tackle these. So let's go ahead and open with this one uh, from Jimmy. And Jimmy says, hey, last year, you guys talked about complimentary football. Since we had a hurry-up offense, you mentioned that our defense should be more focused on not allowing sustained drives, even if it meant allowing an occasional big play. What type of defense will be complimentary to this offense and vice versa? This is an interesting question, man. You, you want to go first? You want me to go first here? I think it's a great question. And I, it's a great question that I'm not sure I know the exact answer to. I mean, uh, a lot of it is, uh, not to give you a cop out answer, but a lot of it ultimately, in my opinion, is what you think you have a quarterback. I mean, the confidence and the degree of confidence that you have in James is going to, uh, play such a role in kind of how you treat your offense and, and ultimately some of the situations that you put it in. I do think that this may be a little bit more of a conservative offense than people think going into this year. I think that you may play for score lines that are kind of more similar to college football 1998 than college football 2020. You know, by that, I mean you may try to win a game 24 to 14 or something like that uh, with the defense that you have. So, you know, I, I think you are going to try to play to your defense as much as possible and make teams absolutely earn it. And uh, if you feel as though your offense at times may be a liability or a pathway for teams to beat you without having to quote unquote earn it, then you're probably going to tam- you know, uh, throttle down a little bit, be a little bit more conservative. Hey, if Corbin proves to be somebody that you can hand the ball to a lot, then that's a little bit more of a, a piece in kind of the way that I might see the offense being. But it's a great question, Jimmy. And it's one of the first things that we pointed out is that in the beginning of, of this season's previews is when we went back and looked at the numbers and we talked all last year about a defense that, hey, one way, one way or another, we want to get the ball back to our offense. Whether it means we make a play, whether it means we're aggressive, somebody else makes a play, there was obviously a very clear idea as to what they were going to do. And when you went back and looked at it, they didn't do it at all. So uh, if nothing else, I expect a whole lot more congruity between want and wish and what you actually see uh, on the field and, and how the coaches try to go about doing that. Perhaps in no game was that more maddening, I think, than, than the Virginia game, if we're hearkening back to last year. Uh, that was just an absolute debacle of, of non, uh, non-complimentary football. I, I, think you, I think you got it right. I don't know that there is a specific way to play complimentary football 
with his team. Now, maybe there are some things that you might not want to do. I, I don't know that you need to go just all out blitz like a crazy person all the time. I, I don't think that you need to be as aggressive with this defense as we wanted them to be last year, right? Because I do, this, like you said, this offense is not predicated on tempo. Now, could the offense operate with some tempo? Yeah, I think it could actually. And if Mike Norvell decides this offense wants to go tempo, if he feels like James Blackman and the rest of this offense have enough comfort level in the system to play with tempo or that tempo could help them. We, we did see last year that the offense, almost the only times that it was effective sometimes was, was with tempo uh, because they could catch the defense off guard. So maybe if Mike Norvell sees what they did last year and understands how tempo uh, was able to help them, perhaps that will be something he's interested in doing. And then if he does, and we, we know he does have some background in tempo. He's not one of these crazy tempo guys. I, I do think that he is definitely a tempo guy somewhat based on, on his previous stops. If that's the case, then I think that you will see a, a pretty aggressive defense. Even if it's not the case, I think you will see a more aggressive defense than you saw last year in terms of like not allowing teams just to pick on on the backers in, in pass coverage and kind of dink their dunk, dink and dunk their way down the field. But the main thing I have is so the question here is from Jimmy is what kind of defense will be complementary to the offense? I almost wonder maybe we should flip the question. Yeah, and in fact, and that's the way I read it and answered it. So, uh, apologize, Jimmy. I I didn't answer. <laughs> yeah, I think you have it right. I uh, I didn't answer it quite as as intended, but that is probably more uh, the unit that I would try to you know modify or, or morph to fit the uh, the other one. I mean, with, with this defense, I, I I have to think that you really like your depth all over the place. At, at least as of now. I mean, we're not in really a a COVID situation right now as, as of you know Monday night, but man, I mean, if they, if they stay deep all year, you could absolutely go tempo and challenge it or team to keep up with, with, with your depth of talent, right. And, and have fresh bodies in the fourth quarter. So that's, it, this is a fun question. And I, it, to me, there's not a real super obvious answer uh, compared to, you know, to what they had last year. Maybe your point about the risk, though, makes a lot of sense in that I do think that that this defense will be much harder to go on sustained drives against this year, just because I think they're going to be more fundamentally sound and play more together as a team, even though they didn't have spring. Maybe playing a little more field position game makes some sense for this offense, maybe avoiding turnovers, that type of thing. If you have a defense that's really, really good, forcing opponents to try to go, go the length of the field on you is not a terrible strategy, depending on know how good or maybe not good your offense is next question uh comes from from kesna and uh i certainly think that there's a decent amount of hyperbole here but uh enjoyed the question so we put it in there if we are unable to get two four-star or better offense tackles in the next two recruiting classes is the program dead okay uh dead no and and I have to say, the way that I read this, I didn't even count this year's class. I was thinking more uh, 21 and 22, yeah. or I guess 22 and 23. Yeah, actually, I, I think it's a very fair question to ask if you take the conclusion and you know change it to like, will it preclude this team from getting to where it wants to go under Mike Norvell? So can we edit the question to that? You know, I... If, if we're able to do so, I think we're able to give a little bit more interesting answer because otherwise the answer is just no, the program's not dead. It's Florida State. How, how about just the experiment with Mike Norvell overall? 
if not necessarily that it'd be DOA, but uh, that it would be as large an indicator or one of the larger indicators as to whether or not he's going to be successful. Yeah, if they don't land at least two four-star offensive tackles between the 22 and 23 classes, then I think you have to have serious doubts about what will happen because that would speak to me about a, a problem getting elite talent at a premier position despite the fact that you are in an elite state at a, at a you know historic program uh, that is pretty hungry to win. So if they're not able to do that, then yeah, I, I think that would be very problematic for them. It's an interesting discussion to be had. We actually discussed this on the Barton and Bud show uh, over the summer and then also a little bit this week. Barton's kind of of the opinion, and I think he brings up an interesting point. You can actually have a really good offense without a really good offensive line. And there are a lot of teams that are able to kind of scheme around having you know, just a decent offensive line or an above-average offensive line or just a good offensive line. Not, not every elite offense out there has, you know, Bama's 20, you know, like 2011 offense or, or whatever year that was where they just mauled everybody. But there is sort of a, a kind of a minimum threshold you need to meet, which Florida State is obviously pretty far away from on the offensive line. And this is a position where you should have a whole lot of early playing time to be able to sell uh, to top recruits. And so far on the recruiting trail in 2021, they're failing at this. I like Coach Alex Atkins. I think he's a really good recruiter, but this staff has been hamstrung because they have not been able to get out on the recruiting trail, meet these kids in person. I think a lot of kids still don't know who the coaches on this staff are in terms of like actually knowing of them. You know, I mean, they, they know, I'm sure they've met them on Zoom, that, that type of thing, but it's not like they followed Memphis or Charlotte or some of the programs where these guys came from. And so that's, that's been tough uh, to, to get traction there. Like a lot of these staffs that are, that are dealing with this in, in this weird COVID offseason, um, like it's not a great year to be a first-year head coach and, and recruiting uh, during this time. But, man, I, if they're not able to sell the, this amount of early playing time they have to offer at a school like Florida State, then, yeah, I, I would find that extremely problematic, especially over, over the time period uh, that Kesson provided. Yeah, so I think we did a good, decent job of kind of parsing out a hyperbole and, and maybe trying to find the intention of the question there. Uh, if I were to change that to one four-star tackle in either 21 or 22, you uh, you think that happens? So we're reducing the number of tackles, but we're actually we're, we're, we're quickening the timeline? Yeah. You know, I'm going to go ahead and say that I do, I do think that happens, um, and that's with without me really projecting them to get one in this year's class necessarily. But yeah, I, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that it, that it will happen. I mean, just the odds say yes. I don't have a specific guy in mind necessarily. I agree. I, I think you, you know, you'll have a, a guy that's a, a hell of a recruiter. I know that it doesn't do anybody any good to, you know, see you come in second or third and, and recruiting, but I think there is something to be taken from some of the traction that he's got with guys that ultimately you're probably not going to sign. And yeah, you've got a, you know, you've got a premier position when it comes to the offensive line and a guy that you can almost certainly look in the eye and tell him that he has every chance in the world to start. I don't know if you, you go around promising kids that they're going to start, but it would be tough to find, uh, a, you know, a, a program like Florida State where you'd be able to make a, a better argument and a better promise to somebody that he's going to have every opportunity in the world, wink, wink, to be your week one starter. So. Uh, interesting to watch and a, a good question there, if uh, slightly modified. Second question is, if you could choose to play this season with either the 2006 offense with Jeff Rowden as offense coordinator or the 2020 offense with Dillingham as offensive coordinator, which would you choose and why? Very unique question. 
do we need to have like a trigger warning uh, on, on, on this? I don't think we've ever really done that before on this show, but I feel like for anybody who was a you know, Florida State fan back, back in that time, we might need to have kind of a, one of those like, uh, you know, warnings that uh, this is uh, potentially problematic to think about and, and, and may disrupt your commute. Bring back some real, some real places that you thought you had otherwise blocked uh, in your memory. Yeah. So 2006, you're talking about Weatherford and Lee as your quarterbacks with, with Weatherford getting the vast majority of your starts. You're talking about a senior, Lorenzo Booker, with Anton Smith being your, uh, your sophomore running back there. You know, Marcus Sims got a carrier too. Wide receivers are Chris Davis, still one of the kids with a better highlight, uh, high school highlight film I've ever seen, uh, but limited transition to the college game. Dakota Fags, a junior. Preston Parker's a freshman. Uh, Jocelyn Shaw is a junior, gets a little bit of run. Offensive line, bud, maybe the one area where you originally kind of think back in your mind, like, huh, you know, we could get some better pieces here. No, not really. Uh, Shannon Boatman, Jackie Claude, John Frady, Corey Nyblock, David Overmeyer, the only real name here and a guy who played a, a good amount on Sundays is Mario Henderson, so I don't know that you have a piece like that. Uh, and then if you want to bleed special teams into just kind of further confuse the argument, you would have uh, the weed as your kicker, old Gary Sismacia, and then Graham Grudno in his sophomore year as your punter. I know that the offense team preview for this year was a little bit, I don't say bleak, but it just wasn't nearly as optimistic as the defensive one was. And, and I get that. But I think you and I both think there's still a decent chance that the offense improves over last year. Not, not a great chance. It's not guaranteed to improve over last year. But we, we think that like they didn't have a downgrade in coaching. They just didn't have a spring and summer to really install their system. There is no way in hell that I would take the 2006 Jeff Bowden coached offense over this offense. None. All right. First of all, they were playing in, I think, a worse ACC, right? Yeah. A worse conference. And, and the, the thing here is I can almost make my decision without even having to factor the coaching into it, which at that point, uh, you kind of know the direction you're going into. Let's revisit some of the scores. And I, I, I filtered it out just to conference games for you. Here are the scores from Florida State's conference games in 2006. 13, 20. And these are only the points scored by Florida State. 13, 20, 20. 51, that was the Duke game. That was back when Duke was just still absolutely terrible. 10, 24, 33, and 0. Three times, they had 204 yards of offense or worse. They had two games in which they had 176 and 139 yards of offense. They actually won the game in which they scored 176 yards. This was uh, hilarious, by the way. If you go back and look, and, and kind of find some of the clips about ESPN from the next morning. It's like Colin Cowherd talking about how both Miami and Florida State are back because they have like the most dominant defenses in the entire country, which that night it looked like this. I believe this is the game where Florida State sacked Brock Berlin nine times. I think it was with Marcelo Church. If I want to go for, for like a real deep cut name here, off the edge, kind of a little specialist rush linebacker. Uh, in that game, Florida State was 16 of 32 for 175 yards passing, and then they had 25 rush attempts for one, count them one yard and uh, one touchdown. Pretty impressive. They won 13 to 10 over Miami. Um, they failed to score at least two offensive touchdowns. Let me see, one time, two times, 
three times. I think four times that year they failed to get to two offensive touchdowns, which is problematic. Uh, if you're trying to, you know, win football games in the conference, people used to complain about the lack of halftime adjustments. However, they really didn't have a whole lot of like pregame adjustments either. And it was pretty clear that, that Jeff Bowden was kind of out of his depth there as a coordinator. They only had two games in which they had a completion percentage of 60 or greater. Two, which was the Boston College game. They were 32 of 48 in a losing effort. I think that's the game that Weatherford throws that horrendous pick six right before the half when I was like, wait, there's like 11, there's like 11 seconds left. Why are we throwing an eight yard out to the wide side of the field with A, Drew Weatherford's arm and B, like, what, what is the possible result here? We've, we've never podcasted about this game. You can find this, by the way. Also, that was a uh, that was an ill ill fated blackout game for Florida State. It, I think it was a nooner blackout or a three thirty. Remember it being extremely hot, uh, so not really the the best uh, the best one you wanted you want to have there. And then they they also uh, they lost to Maryland uh, despite putting out four hundred fifty eight yards, which was surprising. Somehow they only scored twenty four points with four hundred fifty eight yards. That was uh. That was the first introduction at X Lee where everybody got real intoxicated by what he could do, if I remember correctly. Yes, that was at Maryland. That's right. It was kind of a colder game at night. He, he threw a bunch of really nice passes. Somebody dropped a pass there late at the end. I'm trying to remember who. Man, I forget who that was at that point. Yeah, so look, man, the, the, to answer the question, no, I, I would take this 2020 Florida State offense over the 2006 Florida State offense. I mean, and I'm not even that high on this offense. I just think it's, it's really no contest. Uh, b- b- between those two, I mean, I, I don't think you're going to have any games this year in which Florida State had three times they they had three games where they rushed for one, twenty eight and twenty six yards. Like what the hell is that? They they had a game against Clemson where they passed for one hundred and two. They had a game where they passed for ninety six. They had a game against Boston College. That's just that's kind of amazing, dude. This is not the 2006 Florida State podcast, but that was just incredible. So, can I can I pose a question? I'm not a Patreon member, but I do want to ask a question here. How many points do you think Florida State will score per game in conference play? We're not really big on like points per game because it, it's tempo based and all that other stuff. But just let, let's just go totally basic stats here for a minute, and I'll, I'll give you how many they scored last year, right per per conference game. So last year, Florida State in ACC play, uh, they were uh, ninth out of fourteen with twenty five point nine points. Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere around twenty nine and a half in conference play. Okay, so you're expecting about about four points of improvement there per game. I, I think that's that's within a reasonable range. I think that would be really impressive when you consider who you took off the schedule in conference as well. I. I I think, yeah. I mean, I'm going to go. I'm going to go less than that. I I'm going to actually be. I'm going to say they're going to be about, about a about a point, maybe a point and a half worse. So I'm going to go 24 points a game because you're not getting to play Wake and you don't get to play what is it Syracuse this year? I I, I got to I, mean, I I think those are, are two defenses who are not going to be very good uh, this year, and and instead you're you're playing, you know, a lot of the better teams from the coastal. So I I, I actually think this offense could be better than last year if you factor in the competition, like I think Duke's defense is pretty solid. Virginia still, you know, still should be good defensively. Uh, you add Pitt, which will be a very salty defense. 
Notre Dame obviously is is going to be pretty, pretty damn tough. Um, Georgia Tech's defense is not the problem there. Their, their offense is. So I'll, I'm going to go actually a slight reduction in points per game from last year. Uh, I'll, I'll go I'll go 24. So this is going to be interesting to see. We'll, we'll go ahead and mark this down and then revisit this at the end uh, of the season. But uh, kind of a little fun jump off there. Probably being a little optimistic, kind of where I where I have a scoring against Georgia Tech, and then Georgia Tech's one of the worst defenses in the league. So yeah, uh, I may regret that number, but nonetheless, we'll mark it down. Come back to it. Uh, next question here is listening to reports coming out of camp. We may have a dominant defensive line and secondary, which can cover up poor play from the linebackers. If that is the case, can we get to nine wins if this is a top ten S and P plus defense? Nine wins, man. Our, our our questioners never take it easy on us, do they? It's possible. I mean, it's I'm not. I, yeah, I, I'm not going to predict it. Obviously, uh, not to let anybody down for for the end of the podcast. But if you have a legitimate top ten defense, that means one. Well, it means a lot of things that uh, all of our listeners can extrapolate. But it also means that you probably stayed pretty healthy, um, and that you may be able to. I mean, look, you're probably going to lose the Clemson and Notre Dame game regardless, right? Is there another game on that schedule that you don't think you might have a puncher's chance on if you, or puncher's chance in if you've got a legit top 10 defense? I mean, no, I mean, you'll, you'll be punching UNC in the mouth at the end of the game. Uh, you know, you'll be in a dogfight there, Miami, obviously. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I think a top 10 defense pretty much gives you the ability to do anything other than beat the two teams that we just think you have zero chance with. And to be honest, like if you have a legitimate top ten defense, ten is not completely out of the question. It's very unlikely, even with the top ten defense. But if you give me a top ten defense, like a real top ten defense, yeah, I, I think you actually could be favored in nine games. You know what I mean? Like, like if if, if now that's assuming that everybody knows and Vegas knows, <laughs> you know, that you have that top ten defense and that, and that the lines accurately reflect that, which probably would not be the case by, uh, you know, by, by the game against Miami. But it's look, nine wins, if you have a real top 10 defense, is not out of the question because you're, you're going to be limiting everybody to a very low point total. Um, it's still not likely, but it's, it's certainly not out of the question. And I, I, and I think you and I both thought that uh, like a top 15 type defense among the teams which are actually playing this year is is certainly within the realm of possibility. So if you can get top 15, there's a chance you can maybe get to top 10. Um, so yeah, that, that's, it's possible. It's just not super likely. Tonight's season preview podcast is made possible by our friends at Madison Social. Keep them in mind always. If you're one of the few fortunate people going to the game this weekend, do everything you can to support our friends. And as always, thank you to Matt and his team for all that they've done for the Millcast. Brian asked if you could pick one of the two outcomes for the regular season, which would you pick and why a six and five record, but it's obvious to the casual fan that the team is really well coached. And we have three losses as a result of the last play of the game, a drop TD pass by the offense, a failed snap by the defense, and maybe a missed kick at Miami. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. That's always a lovely subject matter or an eight and three record, but the team and coaching looks undisciplined, chaotic yet somehow they win multiple games. They shouldn't. And the three losses are by 40-plus points. Okay. Give me option two. All right? Like, here's the thing. A, 
I don't think it'd be obvious. To the, uh, first of all, it, it is hard for me to imagine that the casual fan is going to be able to identify a team that's well coached if they go six and five, right? Like that's probably the, the that's probably very unlikely. But recruits certainly would not be impressed by going six and five. Like that's not better than they were last year, really, to in, in the mind of any, of any recruit. Eight and three record. The team looks undisciplined and chaotic. Well, you know what I think might it might look like this year? A discipline and chaotic because you didn't have a spring and you didn't have a summer. I mean, Dan Mullen uh, came out today and he had comments about how he basically expects his team to look you know, kind of unprepared and sloppy. And this is a Florida team that returns a boatload of returning experience. And they don't have new schemes on either side of the ball. They have a returning quarterback. They have you know a lot of stuff there. And he discussed it. Like, just expect it, guys, because this is how it's going to look with this kind of crazy COVID offseason. So, we could easily dismiss any kind of undisciplined slash chaos just based on the crazy COVID type year that we're going through. Florida State would get to sell eight and three on the recruiting trail. And if they have three losses by 40 plus points, well, I mean, Clemson easily could beat you by 40 plus points. Notre Dame would be very disappointing if you lost by 40, obviously, but most likely you would be losing by 40 because you had some COVID type stuff, I would have to think, right? And some guys missing. And that same excuse could probably apply in the other game. Um, and if I'm a good recruiter, I'm just going to say, look, man, you know what? When we lost a couple of these guys to COVID, a couple of these opt-outs, whatever, however they got the three 40-point losses, um, this just shows that we have a lot of playing time to sell, man. We got a lot of playing time to offer you. If you can come in and bust your butt, work hard. We don't promise playing time, but we certainly are able to, to project playing time for you if you come in and do this, this, and this. And so I... Give me option B, man. Give, give me those wins. Eight and three is different than six and five. Yeah, yeah, certainly. I mean, the only thing there, I would, I would hate to see one of those three to be to Miami. Uh, but again, eight and three is is too easy, regardless of the circumstances, to choose any other option. Well, you did see Miami apparently is scoring like eight hundred touchdowns per scrimmage. Uh, if you are to believe those stats, yeah. Well, we'll see Miami and, and Mr. King as their quarterback when they uh, when they come on the schedule. Uh, Twitter talk here. So we had one, we had a series of talk today. The number was originally put two and a half. I think we both think that's too low. So we ticked it up a game by or sell. Florida state has three and a half games where they lose by 10 points or more. Three and a half games that they lose by 10 points or more. Huh? I'm going to say, I'm going to sell this. Now, originally the Twitter question that we got and, and you and I have agreed that it was probably not the best number here. Uh, this one, I think will create more debate. Two and a half is, to me, not a very good number. Three and a half or, or, or three is is a better number. But I, I will go ahead and sell this. Uh, I think Florida State will have at least two games that they lose by, by double digits, probably a third. Uh, in my mind, the question becomes, do they have a fourth, right? Are, like, are, do they go seven and four? Are any of those losses close? If they do go seven and four, you know, if they go six and five, are they able to keep two of those games close? Do they just keep one of those games close? What are you taking here? Uh, I'll sell on the three and a half. I mean, um, again, I think you should probably go in with the expectation that Clemson's going to beat you by a whole hell of a lot and go into the idea that uh, Notre Dame is probably going to beat you. Uh, not nearly the same fashion, but it's just too much of a mismatch uh, at certain points. So you take those two, you almost count those as double-digit losses. Uh, there'll probably be another. I struggle to find a second one. I mean, maybe UNC, maybe... Miami, obviously, we've we've said this since the first word we've mumbled this year, but this year's just, you know, expletive, expletive, almost 
damn near impossible to, to forecast. I mean, you know, if, if in week four, Rotemeyer and Blackman have tested positive for COVID, then that, that's going to be real hard for us to predict at this point. And, and that's obviously probably going to change uh, the way that the way that the ultimate outcome looks like. So um, everything is a, is a bit more of a crapshoot this year with what you think, but I'll take the under uh, with the idea that it would be tough for me to see that fourth one. I, I think that's fair. Uh, so I have a question to ask you here and uh, let's, let's go ahead and get into this. Let's play a game. Let's rank the games in order of uh, win likelihood. So the most likely win to the least likely win on Florida State's schedule uh, let's go ahead and go two through eleven because I think we are both going to agree that Jacksonville State is uh, pretty much locked, and uh, we, we don't really need to waste time starting off uh, with that one. So, w- with that in mind, go ahead and, and give me uh, who is your, your number one uh, most likely win on the schedule, or well, I guess number two because we already have Jack State. Um, I actually have it at Georgia Tech. And I, I have it one because I have a fairly strong degree of confidence of what the roster looks like, which is a little bit of a cop out, but is also uh, more true than than we will for any other game at this point in the season. Um, and I, I think that you catch Georgia Tech at a good time and some of their weaknesses pair with yours as well. I consider this and, and one other ACC team from the Coastal and ultimately went with Georgia Tech. Okay, so uh, in that same vein, I actually have uh, I have Virginia as, as my most likely win. Um, I actually think Virginia is probably a little bit better team than Georgia Tech is, uh, but I don't love the idea of being a year one coach in this weird offseason and playing your opener. We've seen several openers this weekend just be totally wild. In fact, I wrote a piece today for 24-7 Sports. Do you know how many how many games fell within a touchdown of the spread this weekend in, in either direction? Just that Vegas came within a touchdown of getting this spread right. Please let me know. Three. Three? No. Three. And they only got two of the over-unders within a touchdown. Like, I was talking to Bill Connolly this morning, and guys, the numbers right now are just wild. Like, all these predictions and stuff, they're already way off. So, that's a problem. I don't really feel super confident in predicting week one, but I understand why you would go Georgia Tech because they probably don't have a great offense and they have to face this defense, which should be ready to rock in week one. So uh, my, my number two actually was, was Georgia Tech. So go ahead and give me, uh, give me your number two. I went with Duke. I went with Duke. It's, a, it's at the end of the year. It's going to be hard as hell to predict what your roster looks like and fingers crossed you're still playing ball at that point. Uh, but yeah, I, I went with Duke. All right. So I, I think that's entirely fair. Um, so I actually had Georgia Tech as my number two, uh, as, as I just mentioned. So I'll go ahead and give my number three, which is Duke. So I'm interested to hear, hear your number three. The only reason I had Duke a little bit better is I do think Duke's defense is going to be really salty. And I, I kind of trust Cutcliffe to, to have Duke's offense be something decent by, by the end of the year. Also, it could be cold on the road. I'm, just, I'm looking for factors here and just kind of splitting hairs. Uh, so the next easiest game that I had on the schedule is NC State. I have uh, okay. So you have NC State as your third. Got it. Okay. Uh, I think that's pretty fair, man. I mean, NC State last year, we have no idea if they're going to have a quarterback this year. Obviously, the uh, you know the the game being at NC State doesn't mean as much as it normally would. So I actually had NC State as my uh, 
as my number five. So I'm curious to hear hear what your number five is. Are, are, are we going to see Georgia Tech bumped even further? Or are you going you going DT here? Uh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep Georgia Tech where they were at uh, <laughs> at I guess two slash one. Sorry, not, no, 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 no. My, my bad. Are, are we going to see UVA bumped even further? Uh, yeah, yeah. I've got uh, I've got Louisville here. So we we have a different of opinion uh, with with UVA. We do. This is going to be very interesting. So what what is your what is your thought on putting Louisville? Because I think a lot of the national media would be like, "What Louisville is like a, a super rising team and blah 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 that that that, that kind of thing." Yeah, they are. Um, I think a lot of, I, I mean, just for full disclosure, I have UVA after this. So it was kind of those two that I looked at. Uh, I think I think both of them are uh, very good coaching staffs. I do, hold, uh, I do hold UVA staff in pretty high esteem and the ability to get through an offseason like this. I think Bronco Mendehall is one of the, maybe one of the five coaches in college football that I would want for something like this. So um, I think also UVA's uh, decent defense will be able to build around that, and we'll see. So, yeah, we have a little bit of opinion as ultimately where we see UVA in the schedule. Okay, I, I think that makes it makes a lot of sense. Um, I have NC State at my number five, which I mean we, we already talked about them. Who is your number? Your number six? Uh, I have NC State there. Got it. Okay, and then I have uh, I have Pitt at my at my six. Yeah, all these all these numbers gotta be screwed up. I already had NC State on there when we uh, when we took Jacksonville State out. My my feeble little brain still struggling to do that as I look down. You're right. Okay, so let, let's just recap. We we both have right now because I, I think I'm jacked up too. My easiest was Jacksonville State, then then UVA, then Georgia Tech, then Duke, then NC State, then Pitt. Yes. Okay. I've got Jack State, Georgia Tech, Duke, NC State. Louisville, UVA, Pitt. Those are my seven. So Pitt is your seven. All right. So my number seven is Louisville. Uh, I think neither of us are are as high on on Louisville as as some of the national media is. I I I think they deserve credit for the step that they made last year. I just don't know if they are set up to take yet another big step this year. It, it, it might be a little more of kind of just to maintain the gains type year. And if they maintain the gains, they're going to be a good football team. But they're also a team that. You know, had some losses last year that were not not good losses. They, they lost this Florida State team last year, and, and FSU kind of put it on them. And it wasn't it wasn't that crazy tough of a game, despite the fact that FSU you know was was rotating quarterbacks, I believe, at that time. So, uh, yeah, I, I have Louisville at my number seven. Who do you have eight? Because now we're kind of getting down to it. Eight, nine, ten, eleven uh, is is pretty interesting here. Yeah, I think we'll probably well it'll be interesting. We'll have to see, I think we may look pretty similar, but I have UNC at number eight. Okay, I have uh, I have Miami. Like I I trust Miami to have a really really good defense. I think their offense will be improved. I just don't know how much can you trust an offense with a new transfer quarterback that they didn't have the spring to install. You know what I mean? Like like they. They didn't really have the traditional summer to do it. It was basically just just fall. I, maybe they go a long way with that. I, I think Miami's receivers might be a bit of a question this year. I, I like their tight ends a lot. I think they have good backs. I think the offensive line should be improved. I think what they're doing personnel-wise and scheme matches up pretty well. But I, I am going to overvalue offense this year. So for me, uh, Miami is my number eight. So it sounds like we probably have eight and nine just flip flopped. 
Yeah, you you have, you have uh you have, you have Miami then next. Yeah, yeah. Got it. And then I have UNC obviously at 9 like I said I I'm, I'm really valuing offense. UNC returns almost his entire offense from a very good offensive team last year. Uh and then I assume you finished with Notre Dame Clemson? Indeed I did. Yes, in that order. Gotcha. I mean, this is where do you start to draw the line between like games you'd be pretty surprised for they didn't win? And games that you think are sort of in that kind of like forty percent to sixty percent range, uh, from pit on down for me is the kind of uh, real point of delineation. That's that's where I have it too. Yeah, I mean, I I, I kind of have like all right, you know, UVA, Georgia Tech, Duke, NC State, Jackson, you know, Jack State. I, I really feel like they should they should be able to go kind of four and one in that stretch. I'm, I'm not saying this team is going to be immune from being upset. But I, I would be kind of surprised if they lost individually, you know, any of those games. And then that kind of pit Louisville stretch to me is a little bit kind of coin flippy, you know. And then after that, I think you have you have four games in which they're uh, they're probably underdogs. So you're basically hoping to uh, to, to get one of those, uh, maybe two, if if you're able to pull it off. So, all right. You want to play? You want to play another, another one of our favorite games? The, uh, the the three most likely records. <laughs> yeah, let's do. Let's do. And and I'll I'll ask this: uh, Is there a record, Bud, or, or for you, what is the record where if you reach that number, it's just quantified as success? Doesn't matter what it looked like. Doesn't matter how you did it. Doesn't matter who you lost to. I just at the end of the year tell you you're blank and blank, and you go, you know what? That's a good first year. I feel like you're off the ground, you're moving, and it was a successful year zero. I think probably seven four. Like I really don't care how, how ugly it gets, but like if you go seven and four, you really never threatened having a losing record on, on the season. You as a year one coach, which we both believe should be classified as a year zero coach, absolutely managed to survive the crazy off season and you got the seven wins. You showed some progress. You're going to a bowl game at that point, almost certainly. If you get to seven, I'm not going to say I don't care how it looks because I'm always going to care how it looks. But I think that's pretty much just in a, like no qualifiers needed. That That is a success. Uh, not to be boring, I have the exact same number. There's only so many numbers we can choose, man. Yeah, yeah, there are. And look, if you if you if we look back in the mirror at the end of the year and we say, look, UNC, Miami, Notre Dame, and, and, uh, and Clemson were just better teams, better programs, better pieces. I can certainly accept that. It means you won games that uh, that you should, and then maybe you won one or two where it was kind of a coin flip. And this program had won a whole lot of those games recently. So um, I, I think seven. This feels like one of the more clear delineations when I when I look back at and, and just classify what's a success, what's a not. Uh, not to say six and five would be a failure, uh, but if you're sitting here seven and four, I'm really not concerned. Uh, who it was against, or how you got there. I think you've uh, you've done enough things to have success. Bank that, roll it in the recruiting trail. See what kind of class you can ultimately salvage from this bizarre ass year, and move on into what is your first real year. I I agree with you on that. So, uh, and I, I think your your point of like, look, man, six and five can still be a success in this year. It just is going to depend on kind of how you get there. Is is very valid because I, I was thinking the same thing before the podcast, man. So let me ask you this. Your most likely record for the Seminoles this year? Maybe I'm being optimistic here, but I I, I think it's seven and four. I do. Yeah, I I kind of wrestled this a little bit. I I was I was thinking like, okay, is it? Uh, I don't want to give away my second choice, but 
I also kind of came down on on seven and four. Uh, to me, there's there's two records that are pretty likely when I look at the numbers, and then there's one that I think is a little more likely than than another one. You know, kind of between it, like three and four gap. So I, I also went with seven and four. Uh, I I think that that you know, this team, I, I really think the defense can carry them uh, to to a winning record this year. So I, I went with seven and four. I don't think it'll be easy to get there, but but I mean, if you're playing a conference only slate, it really is nothing easy, especially when you don't get Wake, Boston College, and Cuse uh, on the schedule, which is you know what what they haven't. <laughs> to be missing this year. So what, how about your, your number two? Number two is six and five. Damn. And we're on the same page. It's, it's probably just a result of, uh, of us podcasting together several times a week and texting every day about stuff. Uh, but yeah, I also had six and five, six and five for me was, was very close to seven and four. I, I like, for instance, you know, if you're going to go seven and four, either you have no slip ups Against you know Jack State, UVA, Georgia Tech, Duke, NC State, Pitt, Louisville, and then you lose the games that you're probably underdogs in, you know Miami, UNC, Notre Dame, Clemson, or you, you win one of those and you have only one slip up. I I think it's extremely possible that you have two slip ups. I mean, I I came very close to picking six and five here as you know as more likely than seven and four. Kind of have them as kind of coin flippy, you know, between those. That said, my, my number three record, uh, as far as likelihood, uh, was actually eight and three. And I, maybe that surprises some people because I think that the downside risk for this team, as we profiled in the offensive preview, uh, is that if you have some offensive injuries, this thing could totally go to hell and you could end up four and seven or five and six very easily, you know, just with, with a couple of injuries and maybe some COVID stuff. But I, you know, if everything goes right, then we just answered that question earlier in the show. What if you have a top 10 defense, right? Does that mean you might have the chance to, to maybe win nine ball games? And I think you have to account for the upside potential of this roster as well. And, and this roster does, it, it does have enough talent on the defensive side of the ball where you can just absolutely dominate a decent number of teams, uh, or at least a decent number of opposing offenses on your schedule. So I, I went eight and three. As, as my my next most likely, but I do think the gap between like seven and four, six and five, and then eight and three, five and six is is decent. You know, m- most of my projections came in that kind of seven and four, six and five range. Yeah, uh, we're we're mirroring each other here. Uh, yeah, if things go right, if Hamza comes back, if Durden you know takes a second, then emerges. Uh, yeah, I, I could see an eight and three season definitely. I think maybe nine and two slightly more likely than five and six, but. Uh, you know, who knows? But uh, I, I did have eight and three as my third most likely. Awesome. Well, we are uh, we are in agreement here. Um, let me look at Vegas real fast. Vegas has Florida State at uh, seven and five with, or excuse me, not seven and five, seven and four with uh, with some juice to the under. Yeah, not a whole lot. Not a number that either of us are going to be rushing out uh, to bet here. <laughs> Obviously, unless uh, unless we get some kind of Intel that you know maybe all the other quarterbacks on the schedule are are opting out for the season or something like that fairly soon. I'm excited, man. Like I, I I'm excited because I want to see what this team looks like. I want to see how this team grows. I want to see how this new coaching staff reacts to situations. I I think they, they're going to handle situations better than the last coaching staff did because they're more organized. Even though I don't necessarily think that's going to show up all the time because of like I said the weird type of year they're having and the extremely weird off season. 
that they did have, which was largely outside of their control. But I'm just, I'm interested in learning uh, about his team and, and watching how this team grows. And I, I think that's, that's the fun side of a team that's going to go through significant growing pains, like anytime you're going to have, most likely when you have a coaching change. So I'm, I'm excited about this, dude. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, again, uh, you know, if, as long as we get to play the games, I think you're going to beat one team that you didn't think you will. And I think you're going to lose one that makes that hurts. Uh, and I think we'll feel a, a decent gamut of emotions here, or, or we'll feel the full range of emotions. Uh, so I think this will be a lot of fun. I really, you know, I'm, I'm excited when every college football season comes around, but, uh, Certainly feels like there's a little bit more energy, a little bit more juice in the program than there has been a bit. And uh, we'll just have to see how that plays out and what that ultimately looks like. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, as always, so fortunate to be able to do this. Thank you to all the listeners, uh, Patreon supporters, sponsors, everybody else that makes the Nolcast possible. If, uh, if, if it just means that you just give a like to the tweet that we put out with a link in the show, uh, that means more than you guys could ever know. And uh, anything that you can do to support us as we continue to uh, move on into this year is very grateful and uh, very much appreciated. And gentlemen and ladies, when we talk to you next, we'll be doing a game preview. And fingers crossed, we'll be kicking off a uh, football uh, this after or this uh, Saturday afternoon, and we'll be off and into the 2020 college football season. I'm excited, man. Let's uh, let's do it. And hell, maybe by the time we do our preview, Georgia Tech will will tip their hand as to who their one of their four quarterbacks is. The, those yellow jackets are being sneaky, so we'll have to see. Yeah, they do the uh, ATL depth chart above the line, which is a total lie, by the way. Like, can can, can, I, can I preview this and just comment <laughs> on this for a moment, if you don't mind? Well, it's just another cheesy Atlanta reference that he gets to make too. But uh, yeah, absolutely, please do. This team was what. Two and ten last year, or, or or did they win three? There is no way they have this many players who are above the line off a team that was was as bad as they were last year. Like they beat USF fourteen to ten, that was a historically bad USF team. They beat Miami in overtime twenty eight twenty one. That was one of those games at Miami. Now they won three. And here's the next one. Here's the next game. Maybe uh maybe the next game that you're about to reference is one that just stood out in my mind to where I cheated them of a win. The twenty eight twenty six NC State game. No, the loss to Citadel. That's the one I was referencing. Oh, that's right. They did lose to Citadel in, in, in overtime. Right. Yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting stretch for them. So uh, they go, they looked exactly like we thought they would look against Clemson, losing 52-14 to 14 on the opening night. And they were pretty terrible, and even though they, they baited Trevor Lawrence into a pick six, I think, early on, uh, if I recall. They barely beat USF. Uh, they lose to the Citadel at home. They lose to Temple, which is Collins' old team, 24 to 2. That's a weird score. You don't usually see 24 to 2. Uh, they lose to UNC 38 22. Uh, they lose to Duke. Then they beat Miami in overtime in Miami. They lose to Pitt 20 to 10. They lose to UVA 33 28, which we think, okay, they're turning the corner. Cool. Then no. Uh, VTech smokes them 45 nothing. In, they beat NC State 28-26. That NC State team kind of fell apart down the stretch last year. And then Georgia de, uh, Georgia beat them uh, in Atlanta uh, 52-7. Uh, pretty hard to give up 52 points to that Georgia offense last year, but they managed to do so. I looked at their quote-unquote depth chart or their above-the-line chart they put out today. Come on. Like, they, should, they, they should cut that thing in half. There's no way in hell that they have that many guys who are above the line. Not, 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 not possible. 
Tonight's season preview is brought to you by Congruity. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized. More HR solutions to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Congruity HR, our friends can be reached at 844-247-4100 or reach Matt Lewis and his team at Knowles at congruityhr.com. Again, N-O-L-E-S at congruityhr.com. Nolcast also brought to you by Shannon Young and Chad Ringlinger. 844-FSU-LOAN is the number to call. I got my home and my refi done via those guys. Excellent combo. Over 80. Sorry, not over 80. Almost 80. Don't want to jump the gun there. Almost 80 Nolcast listeners have got their loan with these guys. When you call 844-FSU-LOAN, you'll find out exactly why. It's great rates. It's great customer service. And a little FSU chat when you call 844-FSU-LOAN. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.